Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness to pray and to rest before he began his public ministry. This year during Lent, join Pastor Hook to pray and rest as we learn about our calling to be a life-changing connection to Christ in our world. We are in episode 22, can you believe it, of our study, Life-Changing Connection. And this is a study to look at various scripture verses as we move towards our launch in November. And this really is a time to just reflect on our church, ourselves, our community, and what God has called us to be. And that's really the purpose of it. When Jesus began his public ministry, before he began his public ministry, he went out into the wilderness and spent 40 days in preparation. It was a time of rest. He did get tempted by Satan, but that was, you know, only a little bit of temptation. Um, he also was out in the in the wilderness just preparing for the public ministry that was going to happen ahead. And so this year during Lent, we are contemplating what Christ has called us to be. We're not doing a whole lot. We're we're worshiping, but we're basically resting. We're we're reflecting on God's word and letting God fill us so that we can come out of this ready to pursue the work that he wants us to pursue. That's really my goal. Today we're going to, we've been talking about leadership, and today I want to kind of tie that all together. I want to I want to look at a story in scripture, and uh, we're going to we're going to go to a story in Luke 18. It's actually in, in most of the gospels, this, this account that happens between Jesus and this young man. But the one we're going to look at is Luke 18, verses 18 through 22. So just listen with me for a second. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. All these things I've kept since I was a boy, he said. So this rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is something everybody asks this question. What must I do? What Give me the 10 things I must do to inherit eternal life. And, of course, we, as, as good followers of Jesus and followers of Paul and the writings of Paul and Jesus, know that there's nothing we can do that Christ does everything for us. We are beggars all, as Luther would say. We come to Jesus with empty hands asking for him to give us the greatest gift of all time, which is that he gives us eternal life, salvation, entrance into the kingdom, all those things. There's nothing we can do about it. And so the question to begin with is a strange question because uh, Jesus, Jesus turns the question around and says, well, how are you doing at the things you're supposed to be doing? He says, are you keeping the commandments? Do not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And the rich young ruler boy says, well, all of this I've done since I was a boy. I'm good to go. Of course, Jesus, when he taught and wandered around Jerusalem and, and Galilee and that area, he taught that none of us can keep these commandments, even though 
We may think we're keeping the commandments. Jesus made it so that we can't keep the commandments. He interpreted the Old Testament to show that none of us can. We're all unworthy. So when the boy says all of these things, or when the man says all of these things I've kept since I was a boy, Jesus looked into his heart and says, no, you haven't. You may think you have, but you really haven't. But then Jesus, well, and before we get to there, he, he, um, he obviously doesn't even have much humility, does he? He is, he is living life assuming that he's right with God. And maybe, maybe a lot of the things that he did were good for God, but all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is what Jesus taught. All people at some level cannot follow these commandments, period. And so this, this man who comes to Jesus, he wasn't able to to follow these commands either. He may thought he was because he was proud of himself. He was like one of the the guys that prayed on the street corner saying, Lord, thank you so much that I get to keep all your commands and I'm not like those other miserable sinners that don't keep your commands. I'm pretty good with you, right, God? And of course, Jesus did not have nice things to say about those people because Jesus knew that deep in our heart, all of us have sins And even these Ten Commandments, Jesus redefined them in such a way that none of us can keep these Ten Commandments. It's impossible. All of us have fallen short. That's what Jesus said. That's what Paul says. That's what John says. That's what Peter says. All of us. And if you think you can keep the commandments, you are sorely mistaken and you're not very humble. Anyway, so uh, this is going somewhere. So we'll we'll continue reading. This is um, picking up again. Jesus, when Jesus heard him, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when this rich young ruler heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. I've often reflected on this story because he gave up nothing. Right, He kept all of his wealth, all of his power, all of his stature, all of his standing in the community, all of his good works that he had done, proving to the community that he was loving his neighbor and loving his, mo- honor, his honoring his mo- mother and father, not stealing, not committing adultery, all these things that he wasn't doing. He was able to keep all that stuff and probably lived a fantastic life. I mean, he was a r- young ruler And he probably was able to use his wealth to do great things in his community. He probably was one of the great members of the Rotary Club or the Optimist Society or, you know, he was basically just doing all the great things that a parent, that a ruler should do. He went back and lived a great life. But he missed out. He missed out on following Jesus. And I like to think, I don't know, it does, the scripture doesn't say, but maybe he could have been one of the 12. Maybe he could have been with Jesus for three years and at the end of Jesus' life, been there in the upper room for the Holy Communion, the last meal of Jesus. Maybe he could have been there at the resurrection. Maybe he could have seen all the incredible miracles that Jesus did, all the healing that Jesus did, all the teaching that Jesus did, maybe he could have been one of those guys. 
Maybe he was replaced by one of the other disciples. Jesus said, well, if you're not going to follow me, then go back to your life. And I just, this story resonates with me so much because, like, what are we doing with our life? Are we just living our life, being content with um, the things that we do, the places that we go, the, the life that we live, the community that we live in? Or at some level, is Jesus calling us to dig a little bit deeper and follow him a little bit deeper and make an impact for the world around us? There was this um, mini-series, I think it was on the History Channel. Um, I think it was called The Bible. And Jesus calls his first disciples and um, he says, follow me. I think it's Peter. And, uh, and Peter asked Jesus, what are we going to do? And Jesus says, we're going to change the world. It's not actually scriptural. <laughs> That's not what Jesus said. He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. But... Um, but in effect, that's kind of, and the people that wrote this miniseries, they, you know, they apparently worked with theologians and, you know, they, they wanted to make it accessible to our world today. And so they put a lot of interpretation into the words of Jesus into this script that they, I think it was a 10-part miniseries that they did. But they saw it as, let's change the, we're going to change the world that because of Jesus, the world will be different. The world will be different because of Jesus, because of his teachings, because of the life he lived, because of the people that followed him, the people that sacrificed of themselves to be in the kingdom and to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we talked about this yesterday, but the more you invest your life into Jesus, the rewards are greater than you can possibly ever imagine. I think about this rich young ruler. If, if, if he knew at the end of his life who Jesus was and what opportunity was laid out before him, would he have, in a heartbeat, given up everything to follow Jesus, to be one of the 12 disciples, to learn the way of Jesus and to spread that message of that countercultural message to the world. How much a price would he have paid? Would he have, would he have sold the family business? Would he have tried to find more money? If Jesus had put a price on it that was slightly more than what he had, would he have sold everything and then tried to find more to follow Jesus? And I would like to believe that he probably would have. That he, if he knew at the end of his life what he missed out on that he absolutely would have sold everything. I, I don't know for sure, maybe not, but at the end of our lives, when we, when we get to the last breath, are we going to be content with the amount of time, the amount of sacrifice we've made to follow Jesus? There's, there's this call to all disciples to look at the life that Jesus has given you, and to say, what can I do with it in the service of the kingdom of God? How can I bless the world around me because of the kingdom of God? That's a very, very good question that every 
disciple, every leader, every follower of Jesus should at some point ask, what can I do? How can I spread the good news? Um, it's, a, it's an important question, and it's one that uh, all of us should reflect on at some point. I, um, it's it's uh, what, March of 2021, and I've been reflecting over the past week about the last 20 years of my life. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but, um, but 20 years ago, my wife and I and my four kids, we were living in Denver, Colorado. We had a house on a park that we very, very much enjoyed because we could go out the back door and go into the park and right in the park, kind of right adjacent to our backyard, it was a long linear park. So we weren't the only ones that were on this park. There was probably 100, 200 homes on this park. We got the back door into this park and but right in front of our house was the swing set and the merry-go-round and all of that great play equipment. And so we could, from the back kitchen window, watch our kids play on this equipment in the park and they also had bushes. I mean, it's funny, the kids, you know, they, they have all this great playground equipment, but the thing they loved to do most was actually these bushes were trimmed in such a way that you could actually hide underneath them and play hide and seek and all that sort of thing. It was just really a wonderful, wonderful thing. And um, I was a civil engineer and I, um, I had moved to Denver because the company that had called me to Denver, they, I was working for a guy in Phoenix and he asked me to open a Denver office of the company. And so we moved our family. At that point, we only had three kids. We moved to Denver. or Yeah, we moved to Denver and we started building the practice of his company in Denver. And we did not succeed in that. <laughs> I, I was not mature enough. I was 32 years old. And while I was a great engineer, I didn't have enough life skills to actually do what he had called me to, you know, he'd asked me to do. And so after a couple years, we kind of parted ways. And then I was already living in Denver. And so um, started uh, another engineering company, just me. And uh, it was interesting that that was during a boom of, of Colorado. It was one of, it was one of those you know, you go into booms in my field, it was civil engineering. So you go in boom years and you go in lean years and it was boom years. And so uh, God blessed me very much. And um, we grew to um, to an actually a, a really large, <laughs> a large organization we had in the Denver office. We had a number of people and, and the, we also ended up having an office in Cheyenne, Wyoming. I mean, 20 years ago, I was the president of a company called Hook Engineering, living in um, Denver. I had this corner office on the top floor of this three-floor building and um, looked out over the Rocky Mountains, big spacious office with a conference room, um, 50 people, and um, just living the dream, I guess as you could say, living the dream that I thought. And um, I was also heavily involved in my church too. Um, as many of you know, I, I grew up in Phoenix and I was in the Phoenix Boys Choir. And because of the Phoenix Boys Choir and their influence in my life, I've always loved choral music. And so uh, I'm, I just love choirs and I love 
men's choirs. There's just something about a men, men's choir, a glee club that just resonates. Anyway, so um, at this time, not only am I working, you know, my job, but I'm also the director of the adult choir at our church and um, loving it, absolutely loving it. And uh, our church also had just dipped their toe into contemporary music. And since I sang and played guitar and I was also heavily involved in that also. And um, I guess you could say I was living the dream. I mean, I was I was very well respected in the congregation and I was respected in the community and all that sort of thing. Um, to make a long story short, we ended up, we, and when I say we, um, my brother was also a partner with me in this because he was had a lot of capital. <laughs> when you when you start to grow a company, you have to have a lot of capital. Anyway, so um, we ended up being courted by this company in California to sell out to them. Uh, they were a very very large company, and um, so we did. We sold out uh, the Denver, the Cheyenne, and the Phoenix office of Hook Engineering, and. Um, and started going, I went from 50 people company, well, maybe 150 people company. It was a, because there's probably about 100 people in the Phoenix office. So we went from about 150 people to like 10,000 people. <laughs> it was, and, you know, instead of being the top dog, uh, you know, of a small company, I was a middle, middle dog of a very, very large company. And uh, operated that like that for, for a while. And 20 years ago, um, we were right in the process. Uh, I was I was right now in the same spot with the same people working for me, but now I was I was with this company, and um, and it just didn't work out as we had planned. <laughs> they, whenever you're, and and the reason is that, well, when you are a large company, there are. Uh, and it was a publicly held company. There was a whole bunch of different things that that company valued that I did not value. And so we didn't actually last very long and ended up leaving that company. Um, and I can remember um, just sitting at home saying, what do I do next? Like, what's the next step of my life? And this this passage here um, really spoke to me like do I want to do I want to go back in and in, in engineering and you know climb up the ladder again and, and all that sort of thing or do I want to do something is God calling me to do something else in my life and um, I just felt the presence of God saying you know you've already done this why don't you try following me. Let's see what kind of an impact um, your presence in the kingdom and your gifts in the kingdom. Let's see where we can take this. And so I remember telling my wife, you know, she came home and or maybe she was already home. I don't remember. And I said, you know, I think God's calling me to, to take a deeper dive into this whole leadership in the Christian church thing. I think I should go into the seminary. She said, well, it's about time. And I can't begin to tell you how much those words have always meant to me because it was a huge disruption. We went from a life that was extremely comfortable 
to a very, very challenging life that in many ways has blessed us more than we ever could imagine, but it was a huge step of faith. And it was not a step of faith for me because I really felt God's calling in this area, but it really was a step of faith for the family and for Jennifer. And of course, um, we weren't worried about it at all. We knew that God would take care of us. We, we knew that it would all come together. Um, so we went to the seminary, spent four years, three years in seminary and one year on an internship they call a vicarage. And um, basically, God, who had provided for us always, but he provided for us and we made it through. And, and then he called me to Vail. And, um, and it has been, over the last, I would say, 15 years, one of the most exciting and challenging things I've ever done. It is, it is blessed me in ways that I possibly can't imagine. But it's also been challenging because the things that you learn in seminary, while it is a great degree and I love it and I loved all my seminary professors and I have this you know, degree after my name that says I know you know, all sorts of things, one of the things that has just really, really challenged me is that if you look at the data and the statistics, the Christian church in the United States is just not doing well. Every, it used to be that there were a few denominations that were growing, but even today with millennials and, and the kids, you know, my kids' age, it's just the church is not, not doing well. For some reason, we are losing ground rapidly and in some places quicker than others like california you know it's just going downhill rapidly in the midwest it's still staying very very strong uh in the south uh you know there's just challenges in every location across the united states and i believe that god has positioned this little congregation in vale arizona to look at what we're doing and saying, what really is God calling us to do? And how can we not be like this ruler who abandoned Jesus and said, I'm just going to do all my own thing. But can we as a church develop and grow and challenge the people who will come into our, who are already here and who will come into our congregation to say, Jesus has called you to not spend the rest of your life um, wherever you are, whatever stage of life, you know, doing the things of this world. But, but maybe Jesus is calling you to give more and more of your passion, of your time, of what gifts God has given you to really make an impact in the world around us. You know, most people move to Vail the vast majority of people moved to Vail because it is known as a place that has a phenomenally good school district. And it, it, there's no question, my kids went through the Vail schools, they, there's no question that it is a very, very good school district. If you come out of the Vail school district, you will have really a good leg up on the world to go to a college, to get a degree, to... <laughs> to work for a guy and maybe he moves you to a different you know, state and you open up a place for him and you, you, know, you start pursuing all the things that you know that you should be pursuing because that's what God has called you to do, right? But 
But even though people move here to the Vail School District and we teach people all the skills so that they'll be successful in life financially and successful in life with a career and all the things that the Vail School District works very, very hard and does a very, very good job of preparing people. And we spend, as parents, thousands of hours trying to help our kids grow in that area. But how many hours do we as a parent spend growing our kids in their character, in their love for their neighbor, um, in, in delving deep into who God's called them to be and how they can serve the world with the gifts that God's going to give them in the world around them? And how many parents of small children are striving for all the right stuff on one hand but they haven't a clue about some of the other stuff on the other hand, about some of the real things that should be developed in their children. And of course, we have some phenomenally great parents. I'm not talking about those. <laughs> I'm just talking about any, any person who thinks that the only thing that matters in this life is making sure that we develop rich young rulers in our children that they're going to be take you know that they're going to say I do everything you know I I do everything that society wants me to do you know I'm I'm following the rules and I'm I've got it all together um and you know the Vale School District you know our community I shouldn't I'm not I don't want to say anything bad about the Vale School District they're a wonderful school district so I shouldn't even say that but just that you know the things that society is saying that we should do with our children that's enough it's not enough and hasn't been enough for a long time because we are filled now with a world that is breaking apart in many, many ways. I think because the church has somehow lost ground in our culture and we have to look at all the tools and all the methods and everything that Jesus did and dig deep inside ourselves and say, what is God calling us to do as a church and how can we change the world? How can we be the church that Christ has called us to? I don't know. Um, but what I do know is that Christ, over the last 15 years, has brought together an amazing, amazing group of people. He's given us an amazing um, vision and mission, and he's given us an amazing facility. And, um, and he's given us a mission and and we as a church will figure this out. We will figure this out because we will not go silently in the night. We will not be deterred by the powers of darkness that are all around us. We will survive and grow and thrive and help our community to make loving disciples, to, to, to help our community be followers of Jesus at a very deep and real level, challenge our community to say, yes, the things that you moved here for, those are great and those are important, but have you considered these things? How is God working your life in these areas? How can we help you grow in any way that we possibly can? I was, um, yeah, I'll probably close with this. Um, we have a school. And the numbers of our school look very challenging and daunting for next year. <laughs> we have, uh, we are very successful in our school, and um, and I shouldn't say we. I should say the teachers and the staff and uh, the people that really are involved in this school on a very very real and personal level have been very very successful. 
and will continue to be successful? And how can we be in those families' lives to help those kids grow in the other area that they need to grow in, which is character and love for community and love for Jesus and and building the other side that that when life gets tough, we can lean on our faith and say, what? how can we get through this? Does God still love me? And those sorts of things. Because it's a, it's a challenging world out there. But I think more than anything, people still, maybe more now than ever, people need to be challenged by the words of Jesus to live their life for him in ways that we've never ever had to really even think about before. And God has placed our congregation in that area. And what a blessing, a challenge and a blessing that is. So I think I think we'll close. Well, before I say that, yeah, I, I, let's not be like the rich young ruler. Let's say everything's comfortable now. Let's just continue on. Let's really ask God deep down, how can we give of ourselves to not miss out on the opportunity to be the church that you've called us to be. All right, let's close in prayer. Gracious God, thank you for the many, many blessings and the many, many people that you've called to our congregation. Continue to guide us and give us your direction and your wisdom to move forward to be the church you've called us to be. Because of Jesus, in his name we pray, amen.